When we think of our War of Independence, it's hard not to think of the symbol of the Minutemen. Minutemen were a small, hand-picked elite force required to be highly mobile and able to assemble quickly. They were selected from militia muster rolls by their commanding officers. Typically 25 years of age or younger, they were chosen for their enthusiasm, reliability, and physical strength. Usually about one quarter of the overall militia served as Minutemen, performing additional duties as such. And the Minutemen were the first armed militia to arrive or await for a battle. The National Guard traces its roots to 1637 when the first militia was formed in Massachusetts to protect the colonies. These citizen soldiers were then known as Minutemen for their rapid response to community threats, later distinguishing themselves in the Revolutionary War. In recently promoted, Private First Class John Harlan Defendall follows that great tradition serving as a citizen soldier in the Texas Army National Guard. And let me just say, as a veteran and as a senior staff member with the Department of the Army, um, I want to say I'm very proud of you. And he's departing this Tuesday for his advanced individual training, uh, the military occupational specialty known as 91 Bravo Wheeled Vehicle Mechanic, and that will be at the very beautiful Fort Lee, Virginia. I'm jealous that you're going out that way. Oh, I shouldn't be covetous, never mind. Okay, and, that, and like I say, that's one of my favorite installations and you're gonna absolutely enjoy it. And make sure you don't just stay in your room all the time. Get out, see things. There's a lot to see. So what I would like is to have uh, both uh, Private First Class Defendall and his family to come forward to receive a blessing. And while they're coming up, uh, please turn to page 41 in your prayer book. The Lord be with you. O Lord God of hosts, stretch forth, we pray thee, thine almighty arm to strengthen and protect the soldiers of our country, especially our Support them in the day of battle, and in the time of peace, keep them safe from all evil. And do them with courage and loyalty, and grant that in all things they may serve without reproach. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and evermore, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Very proud of you. Well done. Well done. All right. See you. It's such an auspicious day to give someone a send-off as they go and serve their country. And as I said, I'm very much a veteran and I do consider myself a patriot. And I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that concept as well. But let's go ahead and go back a, a couple of hundred years and some change. Uh, and this was uh, on a very hot and sticky evening on July the 2nd, 1776, after long and wrenching debate in the Continental Congress. And that's when they voted to declare independence from England. And John Adams went to his room and wrote a letter 
to Abigail, his wife, uh, at, and she was actually at their home in Boston because that, that's where they lived. So as he wrote to his wife, uh, here are some excerpts from the letter, and I quote, the second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable of epochs in the history of America. I am apt to believe it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations. That must be the rockets with the red glare and all that. From one end of this continent to the other, from this, this time forward, forevermore. I mean, he must have looked way into the future that uh, there eventually would be a country that would uh, spread all across the, the continent. But as we all know, he was off by about two days, wasn't he, if you caught that? Because the Second Continental Congress adopted the Declaration of Independence on July the 4th 1776, when they all put their John Hancock uh, on the document, including John Hancock himself. And this final paragraph of the Declaration clearly and boldly stated their intention to sever their ties to the British crown, to King George III. And I quote, we therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress, assembled appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states that they are absolved from all allegiance to the british crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And for King George, these are most certainly fighting words. And to demonstrate his love for the colonies, he would send a fully armed battalion to take care of business. Well, we all know that the rest is history, along with the past lessons learned as we prayed in our collect for Independence Day on page 263, where, where I prayed, O eternal God, through whose mighty power our fathers won their liberties of old, grant we beseech thee that we and all the people of this land may have grace to maintain these liberties in righteousness and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So with that introduction, we pick up with the for the epistle reading. And as we know, whenever we uh, see for the epistle, that means in lieu of the epistle, we know that Deuteronomy is not an epistle. Uh, but that also is found on page 263. And the verses are Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 through 21. Well, you might have been scratching your head and wondering, okay, well, why was Deuteronomy included in today's Proverbs? 
That's a good question if you were thinking that. And I believe that Benjamin Franklin's word of caution also serves as an answer to the question where he said, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters. You know, which is why we must always be in prayer uh, for all of our leaders in our country at every single level. You see, we were founded, as we all know, as a nation based on a Judeo-Christian understanding of divine providence, of God's law as a basis for just law, and the necessity of virtue and faith by the free exercise of religion, which took on many forms. We were founded as a nation which included Anglicans, where most of them were loyalists, of course, at the time, but that changed, because Seabury, uh, who initially protested, became the first bishop in our country. In fact, if you go to the very beginning of the prayer book uh, in some of the back matter leading up to, to page one, you'll actually find a preface in there. And, and that tells you what date uh, that, that their liturgy was established. Now we see the 28th version of that, uh, but that was written under the authority of Bishop Seabury. Not only Anglicans, it, that included Presbyterians and Baptists and Quakers, Lutherans, and yes, even Catholics, uh, there weren't as many, uh, but also, well, John Carroll being one, and then Congregationalists. And I think many of them were Congregationalists. In fact, many of the ministers uh, who were Congregationalists threw off their robes at the end of the very fiery sermon, and they would say, who will enlist with me to go fight against the British, to go fight against tyranny? They became the first army recruiters, because as you know, the US Army uh, was actually founded in 1775 uh, before our nation was even born. However, we must be very careful uh, that uh, we must not confuse God's covenant with Israel with a, with a form of, what I say, a form of nationalism where we forget that our primary allegiance is to Christ's kingdom. Now I say that being a very, very much a patriot. I'm absolutely a patriot. I served my country in uniform for over 20 years. I've uh, taken an oath of office to, to serve as a civilian for well, 13 years at this point, so I would do it all over again. And there's not a thing I wouldn't do to stand up and defend our country. But, but we also have to be careful to understand, being a nation of immigrants, that we have more in common with a Christian from another land than we do with a non-Christian American. You know, and especially much of what's being taught these days is rot, whether it's the uh, 1619 Project or even uh, this Marxism, which is rebranded into what's called critical race theory. Uh, that's uh, going way too, too far in the other direction. I like how Dr. Thomas Kidd put it. He's a professor of history at Baylor, and uh, he offered us a balanced option when it comes to patriotism. And this is what he said, and I quote, but measured patriotism still seems appropriate and somewhat unavoidable for most Christians. Even Romans, Roman 13's injunction to be subject to the governing authorities suggests a default support uh, for your nation. If nothing else, we pray for our leaders and communities so that, as 1 Timothy chapter 2 puts it, that believers may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified, in every way. When believers can live that kind of life in a nation as they often have in America, we should be grateful. 
I would add also to that list of voting and even service to our community or country under the category of measured patriotism. It absolutely is our duty to vote. Now, I'm going to be very much nonpartisan when I'm up here from the pulpit. I uh, won't tell you how I vote. Uh, that's between me and the voting booth and God. Uh, but what I will say is that it's our civic duty to be participants. Because uh, as has been said in the past, that, that if we don't vote, we have no basis to grieve or complain about things. The book of Deuteronomy, on the other hand, was written to God's people, Israel, as they were preparing to cross the Jordan River. The late professor and theologian, Dr. Meredith Klein, wrote, Israel was confronted with the great covenantal decision, the choice between blessing and the curse. We find that in chapter 11 of De Deuteronomy. Moses enforced the call to obedience, and we see that in chapter 10, verses 12 and following, which I will read today. By focusing the eyes of the people on him who addressed to them his covenant as the righteous judge of heaven and earth, whose impartial judgment Israel had in the past seen irresistibly executed in Egypt and in the wilderness, and should in the future find sovereignly exercised over the land and inhabitants of Canaan where they were going to conquer. So let's back up with that in mind to Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning at the 12th verse, and I read, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples as it is to this day. So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. That, that is just intense language to read. And remember that when he is addressing his covenant people, we are engrafted into that same covenant. In fact, when you see things through the lens of the covenant, that tends to clear up a lot of confusion that we might find in some of the most difficult books of the Bible, whether it's uh, Daniel or even Revelation. Klein further commented about this passage. The basic and comprehensive covenant requirement is here repeated. True fear and true love are complementary and inseparable. They are the response of a true heart to God's majesty and goodness, respectively, and together they are productive of wholehearted service and obedience to all God's good pleasure. Yet we know that just like Israel, we tend to forget what, who God is and the work of redemption that our Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross in the same way that Israel forgot their covenant with God and their disobedience resulted not in blessings, but rather curses. We especially see this happening in our nation when we see a steep decline in, in church attendance and even church membership 
and even steep decline in, in just faith in general, along with the moral decline in our nation marked by futile thinking and unrighteousness, we clearly recall the words that St. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. However, in Proverbs 9, verse 10, we also read, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Let's move on to verse 18 in our text today. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. It's awfully hard to separate the current immigration crisis from this text. Now, full-on nationalism would say that they should not be here at all, whereas measured patriotism would say that we are a nation of immigrants. However, we also have laws and processes to attain legal citizenship, and Romans 13 teaches to enforce those laws. We all know about Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty, which bears the inscription, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. And I myself am a third generation Texan whose great grandparents immigrated from Germany. My great grandfather Andreas from Prussia and Sidonia, my great grandmother from Saxony. And they immigrated to the area that we now know of as New Braunfels back in 1861. And he fought in the or between the states, I might add to that. So, so believe me, I have a heart for immigrants. I just, um, I despise lawlessness, as does the Lord. Let's uh, talk about the fear of the Lord even further in verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise, and he is your God, who has done these great and awesome things for you, which your eyes have seen. Klein continues in his thought to inspire the fear of Yahweh. Moses summoned Israel to behold him as the Lord of the cosmos, as God above all uh, that be gods, as righteous judge and as sovereign over history and nature. To encourage love toward him, Moses recalled how God had bestowed the privilege of covenant status on Israel's ancestors fulfilled the patriarchal promise and shown himself a helper of the helpless because that's who our God is. And we also know how that applies to us today because God's covenant with his people reached its ultimate fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. The entire Old Testament narrative consists of types and shadows all fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we renew this covenant each and every Sunday when we celebrate Holy Communion. And it's all in that same call and response style of worship uh, that our Hebrew antecedents gave us, call and response. We call upon God to renew us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that, that way it focuses uh, our self-centered and distracted minds to worship the Lord. And we all are there. It actually sets the, the tone in our hearts for worship. And we hear and respond to either the Decalogue like we did this morning or the summary of the law like we do every other week in the month. And then we plead for mercy 
reciting the Kyrie because we know uh, that we all fall short of God's command as we heard in today's gospel. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that's in St. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. And we all fall short of that is because to be perfect in the Greek, teleos means to be fully developed in a moral sense. And we will never reach that level of perfection in this lifetime. And that's why we need the gospel each and every day because whether it's in our thoughts and our words and in our actions and even the very attitudes of our hearts, we all fall short of God's perfect standard. And we need Jesus. We need the blood of Christ to cover us. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us to live for him. Also in our worship of covenant renewal, we hear the word of God. Uh, we hear it read, we hear it proclaimed, and then we gather together to confess our faith as a covenant community, because we're all in this together. And then we confess our sins corporately, and we receive absolution of the Lord, and then we receive that assurance of forgiveness through the comfortable words. And then we partake in the body and blood of Christ, feeding on him by faith, though we're unworthy. And we are then sent out into the world as messengers and witnesses of the good news that Christ died for our sins and that by faith, by faith, we have eternal life in him and him alone. As we heard in the gospel today, the Lord causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And we see that in Matthew 5:45. And for many years, Many, many years, Americans enjoyed the blessings of liberty, despite our increasing depravity that we've seen over the decades. I mean, I was born in 61, and, and I don't really think that things have gotten better morally since then, uh, but that's where we are today. However, as it stands today, even the poorest among us still prosper compared to many who live in other nations. But for how long? You know, how long can we enjoy these blessings of liberty as a nation when we are so much in defiance of, of the Lord? And ultimately, that's where, where we come in to bear witnesses. So let me just conclude by saying, as one who has served in uniform and who currently serves as a civil servant, I absolutely love our country. I'm proud to be an American. I honor those who publicly serve at each level of government, in or out of uniform. However, it would be a mistake to assume that God will bless our nation just because we're the USA. History teaches us that God granted favor to our founding fathers, but even they understood the fragility of our precious liberty. There's a story about Benjamin Franklin when he left the Constitutional Convention of 1787 and a woman asked him, well, doctor, what have we got, a republic or a monarchy? A republic, madam, if you can keep it. So we don't know what our republic will look like 20, 50, or 100 years from now, but we do know how the story ends. Christ will return to judge both the quick and the dead his kingdom is beyond our borders. It's for us to be faithful with the life that God gave us, where he's placed us, 
where he put us together in covenant community and in our neighborhoods and even in our several vocations as we go out and proclaim the gospel to everyone whom the Lord places in or around our lives because that's ultimately uh, what we need for people to turn their hearts back to the Lord. And our role simply is to bear witness with our lives, but not only our lives, but with our words as well, and to be a blessing to those whom he encountered. Because whenever we are saying, God bless America, always remember that that's a prayer and a prayer that must always be on our lips. Amen. And we say this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.